Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today, and this is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Our episode today is a Reach Back to Theology conference. If you've not listened to the rest of our 2021 Theology Conference, I would encourage you to do that. Reverend Thomas Dibble did absolutely phenomenal, and he joins us again today for an episode entitled The Principles of Dynamic Success. The Principles of Dynamic Success. And we're convinced that one way you could be successful is to continue learning. Online learning is all the rage these days, and Our online learning program equips people who are passionate about their call to ministry and prepares them for the work of God. And the online learning program makes this training of tomorrow's apostolic leaders today available and accessible to anyone and anywhere to find out program offerings or to schedule a meeting with the director of online learning. Visit indianabiblecollege.com. Online. IndianaBibleCollege.online is your first step in the principles of dynamic success. But until you join the online learning program, here is Reverend Thomas Dibble talking about the self same, the principles of dynamic success. His kindness goes before him. He can make you laugh one moment and then whoosh, wreck your prayer life the next moment. And he fights for truth. He stands for truth. And we are so honored to have you here with us today. Come preach to us, Brother Daniel. Thank you, Lord. Let's just take a moment and praise the Lord together, shall we? Jesus, you're so good. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, we confess our need of you today. Without you, we're nothing, dear Jesus. Without you, we fail every time. But with you, anything can happen, Lord. And so we just want to give you praise today. Hallelujah. We just want to worship you. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I adore you, Lord. I adore you, Lord. I adore you, Lord. There's no one like you, Jesus. You're the only true and living God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. You can be seated this morning. It is so good to be here today on this last day of Theology Conference. I give honor to all of these wonderful men and women who are here today. Give honor to Brother Carson. Um, being here today and all the work that they are doing pouring into your life. I won't say who said it, but someone told me this is your chance to straighten out a number of the issues that Brother Perry has. He's a fellow pastor in Connecticut. I won't say who said it up here who told me that, But they said, this is your chance to straighten out a number of the issues that he has. And my simple reply was, there's not enough time. (laughs) It's good to see Brother Perry. It's good to see Brother George and Pedigo here today. I thought I noticed you. I said, that can't be him. I didn't know you were going to be here. And through the mask, I said, that can't be him. But he's here today, and it's good to see them from Connecticut. Now, my message last night, <clears throat> how many know the, the Word of God has a, a direct application, what the author intended, uh, what, who he was writing to, what he was trying to say as a direct application to the people of that time that he was writing to. But also, uh, you can make many applications from the Word of God as well. So, my message last night was postpone the wedding. Now, can I see your hands if you are engaged right now? 
Let's just raise them up high. Don't be sad about that. Just raise them up high. All right? My, my message was not to you to postpone your wedding, okay? But there can be other applications to the message, like postpone the test, postpone the recital. I just want to make that clear, just so everyone understood. Now, my, my intention, my plan... Uh, for today was to teach to you a little bit. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to start in the book of Joshua, chapter number 1 and verse number 8. Also, I noticed that somebody left their watch up here. I, I do recognize I, I forgot to find out what time chapel was over on Tuesday, and I went a little bit over. That was a blessing to some of you because you came and said our quiz got postponed. For another couple of days. So you're welcome for that. But now I know what time chapel gets over, and I will do my best to try to stay within the time limits. I do, in this uh, teaching session today, I do want to try to help you. I, I think um, if you'll pay attention to the word of the Lord, this will be a help to many, many people. Not because I'm speaking the words, but because it's the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sister Annie Sargent, for that wonderful message. I told her before, I'm teaching today, so all the pressure is on her to deliver a, a fiery message, and, and what a great job she did uh, with that message. Praise God. So Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Now, what does that mean? Was there even a Bible during that time? Did people carry around their Bibles with them? No. It was just the commands on tables of stone and until they wrote them down somewhere. And, and the people were not just to speak or read these commands, but the next phrase tells us what they were supposed to do with those commands. But Thou shalt meditate therein, in those commands. Think about them. Ponder them. Uh, and, and when were they supposed to do that? All the time, right? Day and night. How many times does a, a verse, a word from the Lord, a verse of Scripture come into your mind throughout the day? Meditate on that. Think about that. Why did God bring that thought to your mind? And why were they supposed to do this? The next phrase tells us that thou mayest observe to do. Not just to consider it and throw it away, but you're supposed to do these things according to all that is written therein. In other words, this is supposed to change your behavior. The commands of God are to change the way you live or if not, you are just reading words on a page. Now, if it does change the way you live, the result is the uh, latter portion of this verse. For then, when it changes you, when you meditate therein and you begin to do these commands, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. I want to talk to you for a little bit today on this subject, the principle of dynamic success. The principle of dynamic success. How many want to have good success? Anybody? I see a couple of hands. The rest of you, not so much. How many want to have a good success in life? How many want your relationship with the Lord to be one of good success? Yeah. How many want to live life, live your relationship with the Lord at the highest level you can instead of just squeaking by? Yeah. 
For so long, and it doesn't have to be this way, but for so long, uh, I, I think young people got in their minds that, you know, I'll live for God when I'm a child, and, but when I become a youth, when I grow up a little bit, more things are presented to me. That I've just got to test some things out here in the world. I'm saying, no, you don't have to do that. For so many young people, they live a, a, a kind of roller coaster uh, existence, up one day and down the next, living for God one day and away from God the next. I'm saying, no, you don't have to live that way. Can I tell you that every time you walk through the doors of the church, you should remind yourself that you are living proof that the devil cannot stop you. Because if he did have that power and he doesn't, he would have taken you out already. There is such potential sitting in this congregation today. There is such potential sitting here. Preachers, missionaries, singers, songwriters, evangelists, good saints in the church. There is such potential. Bible study teachers sitting in this congregation today that if the devil could, he would take you out. But 1 Peter 5 and 8, I referenced it the other day. Be sober. Be vigilant for your adversary. You've got to understand you do have an adversary. For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he can devour, will devour, no, seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't have the power to trip you up if you don't allow it. He doesn't have the power to destroy you if you don't allow it. Amen. Praise God. Amen. The only power the devil has over you is the power you give him. But you're here again today. That means he couldn't take you out. You showed up again today, and I just have to believe that you are well on your way. I have felt the passion that you have gone after the Lord Jesus these last couple of days. And I just have to believe that you are well on your way to a good success relationship with the Lord if you put to practice the principles found in his word. Praise God. Now, I want to make a statement here to kind of set the stage for this lesson. And the statement may be confusing at first, but I hope to make it clear as we move on. The statement is this. I really feel sorry for those who only have the Lord Jesus Christ in your life as an invited guest. In this lesson today, we are going to talk about how to make sure the Lord Jesus Christ does not remain only an invited guest in your life, but that he becomes truly the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, not just in name, but in practice as well. So Luke chapter 14, if you want to turn there, we're going to read a couple of verses. Beginning with verse number 7, Luke 14 and 7, and he put forth a parable to those which were bidden. That word bidden just means invited. To those who were invited, when he marked or he saw how they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them, when thou art bidden, when you are invited of any man to a wedding, to a feast, to a celebration, to a party. Sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. You walk in. I'm an honorable guest. He invited me to the party. I'm going to sit right up here in front. I'm going to take this highest chair. And when the host comes along and says, 
my good friend is over there. Would you move down just a little bit so my good friend can sit here? And then you're embarrassed with shame, the Scripture says. You have to go find a lower chair, a lower place. So God said, don't do that. And, and, and he that bade thee and him come to thee and say, give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But here's what you're supposed to do. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, friend, go up higher. Then thou shalt have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So, the guy that sets the rules must also abide by them. And so it is that the Lord Jesus Christ never set a rule or a code of conduct that he does not abide by himself. If he expects you to behave in a certain manner, he personally will be your example. In fact, this is one of the unique distinctions of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was and is the exact and perfect example for the highly idealistic lifestyle he preached. He was a preacher that actually practiced what he preached. Way back in the beginning, Adam was given the ability to choose either to submit to the lordship of God or to live for himself. Cain was also given the ability to do either well or evil. Cain chose evil. We too today have the ability to make Jesus the Lord of our lives. God has never taken free will away from any man. You must in one way or another choose that you are going to live for yourself and reap eternal condemnation or live for God and reap everlasting life. It is truly your life to live and manage as best you are able until you face that same great choice yourself. It's your party. It's your celebration. You can come to know the truth and obey it, or you can continue in sin. The choice is yours. Understand this one point, though. When you begin the salvation process that the Lord Jesus Christ bought for you, he is not even an invited guest in your life. When you begin this salvation process, he is a stranger who has been separated from you by the barrier of your sin. So with these things in mind, let's examine the rules that he has made for those invited or bidden to a feast. Number one, rule number one, when invited to a feast or when invited into a life, go. That's rule number one. No mention is made of qualifying the social standing of the host. Indeed, Jesus was always going into homes uh, of those commonly and rightly sometimes considered to be sinners. He associated with some folks that we would have been embarrassed to fellowship with. We have parables for those who were invited but did not go. Jesus was not happy with them. He even invites himself sometimes to a party. Hey, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house today. He just shows up at the, the, the woman at the well. He just shows up at Jacob's well because he said, I must needs go through Samaria. There's something compelling me to go this way because I'm going to have an encounter with something, with someone, and it will change their life. 
So he invites himself into the life of the woman at the well, and she gets changed. She goes back into the same city that the disciples came out of, and they didn't see anyone to tell about who the Lord Jesus Christ was because of their presuppositions, their Samaritans. I can't minister to those people there. She goes back into the same city, and she tells everybody about Jesus, and the whole city comes back. How about the lepers? Can I do anything for you? Can I come and touch you? I know it's not proper protocol, but I'm inviting myself into your situation. So it doesn't matter what the social standing of the individual is. When Jesus is invited into a life, he comes. Aren't you glad about that? You know better than anybody you didn't deserve it. You know better than anybody you were a long way off from the Lord when he found you. I grew up in a Pentecostal apostolic home and environment. I was a long way off in my thinking and in my heart when he found me. I needed him more than anybody. Rule number two. When you go... Do nothing to exalt yourself or advance your own position. That's rule number two. When you go, do nothing to exalt yourself or advance your own position. As a guest, it's your obligation to allow the host to put you where he wants to. It's not your party. It's not your life. Please note, this concept is foreign to human nature today. You will stick out like a sore thumb if you behave like this. Every, this is no uh, statement against anybody that sung here or anybody that did anything, but everybody wants to be the one on the keyboard, playing the bass, playing the drums, doing stuff, singing the special song. Everybody, oh, sign me up for that? Yeah, I'll do that. But nobody wants to run the vacuum cleaner after everybody's gone home. If you live like this, you'll stick out like a sore thumb. If you seek the lowest room, you're going to have little company there because no one wants the lowest room or the lowest position. But your attitude and humility will be so refreshing that any wise host will be eager to show you off your pleasant personality to his other guest. What does the scripture teach? He who would be greatest among you will be servant of all. The last shall be First, if you want to gain your life, you've got to lose it first. As always, the principles of Christ seem backward to the unregenerate nature. Yet, isn't this the perfect picture of Christ's dealings with you in your life? He never imposes his lordship on anyone, but he does expose you to his love and his meekness, and his humility, his gentleness, trying to draw you into inviting him into your feast or your celebration or your life. Rule number three, I've got to hasten on. If you invite him, he will come, but he will protect himself by any preference you may have for certain sins. If you invite him, he's going to come, but he's always going to protect himself by any preference you may have for certain sins. So when you do finally invite him, he'll come regardless of your qualifications. You don't have to come from a preacher's home. You don't have to come from any special social standing. It doesn't matter, in fact, where you come from. Uh, God will come into your life. He'll come because it was his purpose to seek and save 
that which was lost. Notice I didn't say seek and save that who was lost. But the scripture says he came to seek and save that which was lost. And what was lost was the relationship that he had with Adam and Eve in the beginning. And it was cut off by the barrier of their sin. That which was lost was the ability for me to have a relationship with a loving God. And since it is your life at this point, the only qualifications he needs to be your guest is that it's your life, that it belong to you. As the host, you can invite whoever you want into your feast, into your party, into your life. But Jesus does protect himself from being humiliated by any preference you may have for certain sins. He will seek out the lowest room in your life, even if you have invited him to be a guest, an honored guest at the head table. And so he will never of his own accord be unseated by a more highly honored guest. Most people never get beyond this point. Most Christians never get beyond this point of Jesus just being an invited guest in their life. Sad to say, but for most, the highest Jesus ever gets is that of an invited guest. Unfortunately, your life, your feast, your celebration cannot experience dynamic success or true greatness with the Lord of glory there in your life as a guest occupying a lower seat. Yet the highest level of spirituality you may have reached to this point in your life is to have promoted Jesus Christ to the place of guest of honor. Without question, you live your life completely to give him honor, praise, and recognition. You are dedicated to ensuring that he will enjoy his place in your life as the most honored guest of all. But it is a sad and shameful thing that the whole essence of Christianity's Christ is missed when you are content with only having Jesus as an honored guest in your life. He must be the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. If he's not Lord of everything, then he is not Lord at all. But there are few limits on the blessings and miracles possible for those who make the Lord Jesus to be the host of their life. I don't have time to, to get to this next passage in Romans, but you've read Romans. How many have ever read Romans chapter 7? You read about the battle, the struggle going on. Paul, the great apostle Paul, said, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing those things. And I find there this, this law at work in me. I find there's this great struggle, the spiritual against the carnal. There's this great fight going on within me. Now, I want to have my, my volunteers come and help me real quick. Just going to give you an illustration about what this means. Okay? This is my party. This, this is my life. And so I'm the host. And I'm sitting down there. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting down here. And Jesus, he's not really sitting yet. Uh, he's not even in my life. But I realize, I recognize, maybe I go to a church service. So maybe, maybe I just get hungry and I start reading the word of God. And I start, there's a hunger inside of me. And I start digging into the word. There must be something more, Sister Annie, to life. There must be some purpose to life. And so I get hungry. And maybe it leads me to the Bible. Maybe it leads, or God brings someone across my pathway to talk to me a little bit. And so I finally start this salvation process. 
I recognize that he's the Lord of glory. I recognize that I'm not the Lord of glory, that I'm not God. And, and then I begin to respond to what I read in the scripture where it said, I've got to repent and I've got to be baptized and I've got to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. And at that point, Jesus comes as a guest in my life. And where does he sit? Where does he come in? He sits down in the lowest room. He set the rules. He's the one that gave the parable, right? He follows the stuff he writes. He practices what he preaches. And I think, oh, this is wonderful, right? You'd be crazy not to feel this is wonderful. How many went to a Pentecostal church for the first time? You didn't know what to expect. You didn't know what was going on. People were running around and swinging from the chandeliers. And you weren't quite sure what was happening. But something inside of you said, this is wonderful, I've never felt anything like this before. You're a little uncomfortable in your chair. Maybe you were moving around. I don't know what's going on, but I sure do like what I feel. So you'd be crazy not to feel that this is great. Hey, the Lord Jesus Christ is in my life. But then you more, the more you dig into the Word of God, the more you begin to recognize, hey, I need a little more of the Lord Jesus. I've got to start to change some things in my life. This is a holiness way. Holiness still matters to God. And so I begin to change some things in my life. And I recognize, hey, the Lord's a guest in my life. He's sitting all the way, and all these other things are in front of him. Now, I could have put about 26 chairs here. For all the stuff we let into our lives that get in front of the Lord. Can I tell you the best way to make him Lord is to make him number only. And not just number one, but number only. The only God of my salvation. So I recognize that he's down there. And I say, oh, oh, Jesus. Oh, thank you so much for coming into my life. Would, would you come up here? I, I want you to sit up here in this chair of honor, this, this highest chair in my life. Oh, I'm so glad to have you in my life. It's been so wonderful since you came into my life. Since I was introduced to you, it's, it's been so wonderful. I'm so thankful that you're in my life. But then, as we're enjoying the fellowship, my favorite sin comes along an appearance and he's kind of waving at me a little bit trying to ignore him but he's calling out to me you know the bright lights you know that pleasure I used to any preacher that tells you there's no pleasure in the world is lying to you there is pleasure in the world but can I tell you it only lasts for a season it only lasts for a little while and so my favorite sin comes along and I oh, oh how you doing uh, it's been a long time since I saw you. Jesus, could you move? Now, don't go far. Don't go. But can you move down just a little bit? No, no, no don't go far. But oh. Oh, how you doing, man? I remember we used to have such good times together. It was so much fun. It was so wonderful. But then, like it always does, sin is gone. The pleasure's gone. My favorite thing that I used to do is gone. And I'm left with this feeling like Romans chapter 7. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. There's this struggle with the flesh and the spirit. And I look down. Maybe I go back to chapel service after I just destroyed one of my classmates on social media. And, and, I, and I, oh, I didn't mean for it to happen. I just wanted him to move one chair down. But then I see Jesus down there and all my other stuff in front of him. <laughs> and maybe the preacher preaches and I feel the presence of the Lord. And I say, oh, oh God, Jesus, would you come back up here again? Come on back up here. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you were down there. I'm so sorry that, that you, you had to sit all the way. You're my honored guest. You're the most honored guest I've ever had in my life. I'm so sorry that I did that. But by and by, my favorite sin comes walking along again. And there he is. And he's offering me pleasure. 
and I go through the same process. Would, would you just move down first? I don't, 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 don't go far. Don't, don't, don't. Oh, how you doing? It's been a while since we've been hanging out together. I remember we used to do some good stuff. We, we had some good times. Oh, thank you for coming again. But all of a sudden, sin, like it always does. Pleasure, like it always does, just lasts for a season. And he leaves me high and dry. And, and then I go back to chapel again. Or, or somebody talks to me. One of my instructors pulls me to the side and says, I, I've been noticing some things about you. I've been noticing some, some patterns in your life. Can I try to help you? Can I try to encourage you? And I look down. There Jesus is all the way at the end. And so I invite him back up again. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I go through a season of repentance. I'm so sorry, God. Maybe if we didn't think repentance was just saying, I'm sorry we could accomplish something. Maybe if we understood repentance is a change of motive. Until I change my motive and change the goals of my life and change the actions that I've been doing, it will not produce different fruit if I keep doing the same things over and over again. I'm always going to produce the same fruit until I get a change of heart. Repentance is not just saying I'm sorry because I got caught and I have to pay a penalty now. That's selfishness. And I get through that season of repentance. But God doesn't stop there. He's still working on my heart until I have this revelation. <laughs> what if I give him my life? My celebration, my part. Well, I've got some things planned for my life. I got some places I want to go. I, you know, I've got some 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 goals of my own. I, I got some things I want to do in life. But the Spirit of the Lord just keeps assaulting my heart, just keeps coming after me time and time again until I finally realize I've got to submit every part of my life to Him. And so I say, Jesus, I've never done this before, but would you be the host of my life? Would you be the one in charge of my life? And I'll just sit wherever you tell me. I'll, I'll, just, I'll be content to be here and have you in charge, have you calling the shots in my life. And then you're always going to be challenged at the level of your commitment. So you say, I'm going to get up at 5 o'clock and pray today. When that alarm clock goes off, there's things, those covers, that bed feels so good. You'll always be challenged at the level of your commitment. And so my favorite sin comes along again, and he's calling out to me, and he's, he's waving at me. Hey, I, no. I'm sorry. It's not my life anymore. It doesn't belong to me. You have to talk to him. He's the host. He's the one in charge. And he says, hey, hit the road. Get out of there. Thank you guys for your help. Well done. Well done. Now keep what we've just talked about in mind for a moment. Let's move on to John chapter 2. This is what's called the beginning of miracles. John chapter 2, and we're going to read the first 11 verses. Now, before we get into the text, some things you need to know about weddings in the time of Scripture. How many weddings do we have coming up? Brother Gallion, you said 19, something like that. 19, so I want to tell you all something about weddings. All you guys that raised your hands that, that said you're engaged, I want to tell you something about weddings. In the time that this scripture was written, weddings went on for seven days at a time. They lasted for seven days. Now, if everything was going good at the end of the seven days, if there were still enough resources left over, 
Everybody's enjoying themselves. Everybody's having a good time. The family was wealthy enough. They would continue on for another seven days. If everything was going good at the end of the 14 days, the family was very wealthy. It could continue on for another seven days. How many want to... I don't want a seven-day wedding. I'm thinking back to when I got married. I was ready to get out of there. Y'all can eat the cake on your own. We're hitting the road, Jack. So back, back to weddings here. There were several. I'm not going to tell anybody that I may or may not have ordered pizza later on that night and had it delivered to our room. There were several appointments made for each wedding. Number one, there was the host. The host managed the whole wedding feast and was the person in charge of everything. There was the master of the table or the head waiter. And this was often a trusted servant. And they made sure that proper protocol was followed during the wedding feast. There was... The taster, this is usually what I sign up for. There was the taster, one of the guests, usually a good friend, and he would make sure that no food was served that would be a discredit to the bride or groom. Sometimes when I'm operating in that taster mode, I'll taste something that's really good, and I'll say, no, this probably doesn't meet the cut, just... Just leave that off to the side. Serve that other stuff. Just leave this, this one over here. His was also a position of honor, and he received the first taste of everything that was served. And then there was the governor of the feast. He would taste the wine before it was served. These positions, especially the host, these positions and appointments freed up the bride and groom of all responsibility. They didn't have to worry about anything. They just had to show up that day. So John, chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1, says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. So the phrase, and the mother of Jesus was there, indicates that she was the host of the feast. There's further proof of this later on. But she was the one in charge of the whole wedding. She would see to it that the bride and groom would not be discredited in any way. Verse number 3. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, unto Jesus, they have no wine. There's a problem. We ran out of wine. She was the one concerned about the lack of wine. She seems to be the only one that's aware there's a problem. She was the only one who sought to solve the problem by turning to Jesus. She knew he could solve the problem. Don't we do that while we are the host of our own life? As long as everything is going good, we pay him no mind at all. But when a problem comes up, hey, Jesus, you've got to help me out in this situation. She was the one who ordered the servants, and they obeyed her. She was in charge. She was the acting host. She had made was made to be the host of this wedding, the mother of of Jesus was there. She was responsible. She ran out of wine. Verse 4. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now I've always, uh, not always, but uh, many, many times I heard, you know, kind of a rough tone to the voice of the Lord. Woman! What have I to do with thee? Mine hour's not yet come. Who do you think you're talking to? Notice, 
Though I don't think Jesus was being disrespectful, but he was saying to his mother, I have no authority here. I'm not the host. You are. I'm not the one in charge. I'm just a guest. I've not been exalted to the position of host. The hour of my glory has not yet come. With Jesus sitting in any one of these chairs in your life or in your party, the hour of his glory has not yet come. But when we put him in this chair, when we put him in the captain's chair, when we put him in charge of our life, everything changes. So verse 5, what did Mary do? His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Mary doesn't seem to take this as a rebuke or a rebuff. She knows Jesus has the answer to a problem. And so she speaks directly to the servants of whom she was in charge and tells them he's in charge now. I'm not in charge anymore. Whatever he says to you, do it. Notice she doesn't spend any time or effort trying to convince Jesus like we do. Oh, Jesus, please help me out of this problem. Oh, Jesus, help me out of this dilemma. Come on, Jesus, I carried you for nine months. Can't you do this one thing for me? Is that any way to talk to your mother, Jesus? No, she doesn't do any of that. She just makes him the host. She puts him in charge. Jesus and his disciples had indeed come to this feast as they were bidden. And true to his code of conduct, he took the lowest room. He never sought to exalt himself. He knew he had the answer to the problem. In fact, he knew it was a problem before Mary knew it was a problem because he already knows everything we have need of. And yet he didn't do anything to initiate the solution on his own. He didn't call over to Mary. Hey, Mary, I've got the answer to your problem. It's not the business of the guest to provide bread and wine for the feast. It is not the position of a guest to ensure the success of a party. Jesus was invited and he came. He was a guest. The party was failing. As a guest, he refused to assume any responsibility for the feast. I wonder if this is not how most Christians live their lives with Jesus as a mere guest in their life. But Mary had the answer. I'm going to make him the host. Mary ordered her servants one final time. She commanded them, don't pay any attention to what I have to say. Whatever he says to you, do it. She yielded her servants, her members to his lordship. What does the Bible say? To whomsoever you yield your members, servants to obey, his servants are you. Is this why we may be having problems living for God? Because we are yielding our members to the wrong person. You be careful who you allow to speak into your life. Any of these men up here will get, and ladies will, will give you sound guidance and direction from the word of the Lord. But you be careful who you allow to speak into your life, who you yield yourselves, members to obey his servants, are you. Only as you make yourself his guest are you assured of success. You can experience his success. You can make him your host by ordering your body and your mind, all of you, to serve him. You must make him to become the host. Be sure of success. Notice that Mary's servants did become his servants. From that point on in the party, the the party was turned from a failure into a glorious success. 
Life is so much better when he is made to be the Lord. The end result is assured, even though there may be moments when I'm not too sure, even though there may be situations I wish I didn't have to go through. Life has already been determined to be a success when he's in charge of my life. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I'm running out of time. I got to pick up the pace here and there were set there six water pots of stone verse six after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece they needed wine what did they have they had water pots but these were water pots after the manner of the purifying of the Jews let me break it down for you they walked on streets that were not paved they didn't have shoes that covered all their feet they wore sandals most time if they had any shoes at all And so when they came to a place, there was always a a pitcher and a basin for their feet to be washed. That's what those were. And they contained two or three firkins apiece. The servants would pour out that big jug, pour into the basin there. They would wash the guest's feet. Some of the water would splash to the side. Some of it would be dried off when they dried their feet, and they went about their way. I, I, prob- I have a sneaking suspicion that in a wedding ceremony this size, they probably didn't want to waste much water and have to go running back and forth to get water at the well. So I think they probably, nobody's looking. They just pick up the basin, pour it back in the jug, just shake it up a little bit. Next person comes along, they pour some more out. Same thing over and over again. So what I'm trying to say is this is toe jam water. This is water after the manner of the purifying of the Jews. This is not water you would even serve to your worst enemy. And here comes Jesus. Well, what do they have? Well, they have these water pots here. And, and all six of them contain somewhere between two or three firkins apiece. These water pots are the most unlikely sources of beverage for such an occasion. Maybe they expected Jesus, he's just going to speak the word. And there'll be some gold coins in my hand. And I can go down and purchase some wine for the wedding. Maybe he thought, they thought he was going to do some spectacular thing. There's no limit to the kinds of things we impose upon the Lord Jesus and expect him to do in our failure. But most often, Jesus takes our failure and he turns it into a crowning success. So what do you have? Well, I just got these six water pots here. That'll do. Don't impose upon Jesus expecting him to have to resort to adding resources to your life to fill the need. But as host, Jesus can take your failure with only the meager resources that you have in that failure and make it a crowning success. How about the barrel of oil and the, and the, uh, the barrel of meal and the cruise of oil? Just a little bit more every day. Just a little bit more every day. Uh, What do you have in your house? Well, I just have this little pot of oil. That's enough. That's what we'll use. What do you have? Well, five loaves and two fish. That's enough. We'll feed 5,000 with that. What do you have? Seven loaves and a few fishes. That's enough. We'll feed 4,000 with that. Simply obey his lordship, even though you don't understand how his way will solve your problems. Understand that Jesus will test your decision and action that makes him host. He will test you at the level of your commitment. So verse number seven, Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. What does that mean? That means they didn't dump the unsavory water out first, but however much was in there, they filled it the rest of the way up to the brim. Same nasty water, okay? Verse number 8, And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. Now, 
These beverage containers were not designed to be beverage containers. Everybody there knew what those water pots were. They were not quote-unquote kosher for drinking purposes. To serve water as the drink at such a feast would have been offensive in itself. But to serve water from such a vessel would approach the unforgivable. But they followed the instruction of the host, the Lord Jesus. Sometimes he's going to tell you to do some things that you don't understand. If you will just follow the instructions of the host, can I tell you, you will have dynamic success in your life. You may have to go through some things. You may have to suffer some things along the way. But every step of the way, he will be receiving glory from your life because he wants to show himself strong on the half of his children. Verses 9 and 10. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was. Notice this parenthetical statement here. But the servants knew. The governor of the feast didn't have any clue where the water came from. But the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This wine is better than before. If he only knew. If he only knew where it came from. That's why Proverbs tells us, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. Lean not to thine own understanding. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And if we do that, he shall direct thy paths. So make him the host. Obey him as host. Dynamic success is the result. Got to move quickly here. Let me point out before I come to a close. That most truly powerful miracles take place in the back room where the servants are at work behind the scenes. Now, let me set this up. If it was me doing the miracle, I want everybody to know, hey, that guy just did a miracle. So I, I would have called a gathering together. I would have got everybody's attention. I maybe would have set a table up in the front here, called the participants down, uh, come down here, now to the front. I would have made sure I was speaking in the microphone in front of everybody so everybody knew who did the miracle and, and set everything up so everybody can see what was going on. And then I would have turned the water into wine and, and, and pixie dust would have fallen down from heaven and there would have been trumpets blowing. It would have been a great thing, a big production. But can I tell you, most truly powerful miracles take place in the back room where the servants are working behind the scenes and nobody even knows what's going on. But the servants knew. How many want to be a servant now? How many want to get in step with God now? But the servants knew. Jesus had a habit of being where the lowly were doing his most wonderful works among them. This beginning of miracles took place out of the limelight of the feast, out of the view of the many important guests. Even so, words started to get out. The gifts of the Lord always overflow the need. He's got more than enough. Can you imagine how much wine that was? Somebody estimated it was nearly 134 gallons of wine he produced. Your life may have been progressing well. You may have been putting your best up front. Everyone may have been well pleased so far. You've got the golden voice. 
you got this talent to do this or to do that. You're the preacher that everybody wants to hear. Your life may have been progressing on pretty good so far, but know assuredly that Jesus must be made host of your life for your life to end successfully. Any one of these men and women can tell you stories about people that started out strong in this walk with God, but it didn't end very well for them. If you want your life to end well, if you want the Lord Jesus to receive glory from your life, make him the host. And the end will be better than the beginning for everyone in your life. In fact, the moment you make him the host, the Lord of your life, the only God of your theology and experience, that will be the beginning of miracles. Verse number 11, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. The text here does not say this was the first miracle Jesus ever performed. If you read further after this, you'll read a passage that says this was the second miracle he performed in Cana of Galilee. It does not mean this was the first miracle Jesus ever performed. A case can be made that there were miracles that happened before that. Hey, Nathaniel, I saw you when you were under the tree. Nobody knew. I saw you. And he speaks those words, those thoughts that Nathaniel is thinking. So the text does not say that this miracle was the first miracle. It says this beginning of miracles did Jesus perform? First in order of occurrence is usually signified by either the Greek word proton or protos. Same word, just a different ending. Sister Mass can tell you what the difference is between the two. Proton, uh, it, it's translated beginning in John chapter 2 and verse number 10. At the beginning you set forth good wine. That's the word proton. And it's translated first in John 8 and 7. He that is without sin, let him first cast a stone. Protos, commonly translated first again in John 5 and 4. The first one into the water is going to be healed. John 19 and 32, break the legs of the first. None of the Greek words for first as in a series 1, 2, 3, 4 is used here. The word used in John 2.11 is archae, which properly means a commencement or the beginning. It also occurs in John 1, 1 and 2. Ain arche in ologos. Revelation 3 and 14, Colossians 1 and 18 and others. This particular event was described as the beginning of of miracles. Can I tell you, when you make him the host of your life, when you put him in charge, that will be the beginning of miracles in your life. Notice we're not seeking after the miracles. We're seeking after the miracle giver. If you get Jesus, you get all the other stuff that comes with it. Don't chase after miracles. Don't chase after signs and wonders. Go after Jesus. Make him the host of your life. Stand with me. You will find Jesus makes your decision and action of making him the host to be the beginning of miracles in your life. Can I, can I just tell you? How, how do we determine if he's actually the host? How do we determine if he's actually the Lord? Many people say, oh, yeah, he's my Lord, but they go and do their own thing. Let me give you a crazy example. Yeah, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And the Lord says, you know, I think it would be good for you to eat a bowl of ice cream every day before you go to bed. And I say, yay, Lord. You're my Lord and my God. 
Thank you, Lord. I'll do it. You're my Lord. But when he comes along and he says, hey, I want you to eat a little broccoli with your meal. How about some asparagus? I say, ooh, I'm not so sure I want you to be the Lord anymore. Can I dip it in ice cream? When the Lord Jesus says, I want you to go this way. This is what I have for your life. And you already intended. You, that, that was the plan you had already worked out. You, oh, he's my Lord. He's my God. But when he says, I want to have you walk down this path for a little while. And you look down and there's a little suffering ahead of you. And there's some loss ahead of you. And there's some hard times ahead of you. You shy with, no, no, that, that can't be the path that you have for me. You will always be tested at the level of your commitment. Is he Lord or is he not? Is he in charge or are you in charge? So I don't understand it, Lord. But if this is the path that you want me to walk down, I said, you're my Lord. I settled it a long time ago. I settled it in a Holy Ghost prayer meeting. I settled it and I made you the host of my life. And so I've got to trust you know what's best. And so I'll, I'll walk down that pathway. Come on, let's reach out to the Lord together all over this sanctuary. If you've never made him the host of your life, now would be a good time. If you never have never yielded all of your members to the Lord Jesus, now would be a good time to do that. Come on, just reach out to the Lord. You can avoid the up and down uh, cycle of Christianity that so many go through. You can avoid being up one day and down the next that so many people go through. You can avoid living for the Lord Jesus one day and living for yourself the next day. If you just make him the host of your life. Come on, let's reach out to him. Let's just spend a moment here. It doesn't have to be a long time. Let's just spend a moment here and reach out to the Lord. Jesus, you're the same.